Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. Spreading the court. Ten seconds remaining. They just got to throw it under the basket. Under the basket. It's down to seven seconds. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network podcast. This is the college basketball betting preview. I'm Stucky, and with me, as always, is Colin Wilson, and it's college basketball season, so we're also joined by the one and only Mike Randall. What's going on, boys? What's up, big man? Too bad we couldn't get John Chaney here for his 88th birthday, a couple days late. Him, him killing Calipari would have been one of the more amazing things. Like you think of the career Calipari's had since then, you know, since ever leading UMass, beating Arkansas in 1995, beating Arkansas in 2020. Yeah, John Chaney, North Philly legend. Uh, you can already cash your tickets for Colin mentioning Arkansas 90s basketball. <laughs> um, <laughs> what, 35 seconds into the podcast? But all right, we have a lot to get to. We'll talk a little bit about the week that was last weekend, some horrible beats. Then we'll get into some Friday Night Lights, talk about Friday's card, and then obviously Saturday's spots that we are targeting. We'll also talk some Big Ten, just a look at what I think is the toughest conference in all of college basketball. And we'll talk a little Mountain West Conference. I'll be talking with uh, BJ Reigns, beat writer for Boise State. I've known him on Twitter forever. Uh, he'll offer some insight into Boise State this year and next, by the way. Boise State's an intriguing long shot future for next year with all of the transfers they have coming in and everyone that's coming back, presumably. Uh, we'll talk San Diego State. For the guy who came at me on Twitter and said, we have an East Coast biased podcast or mid-Atlantic podcast. I don't know what he wants. We mentioned San Diego State three times. So we're going to talk a lot of San Diego State and the Mountain West Conference. But before we get to that, let's get a little rants out of the way or who you're mad at. Losing money is never fun, but sometimes it's worth the story because a bad beat is a dope beat. I need a dope beat, a dope beat, a dope beat, a dope I'll start in the Big 12. I mean, last weekend I had two horrible, horrible beats. Now, they weren't the worst beats of the weekend. If you had USC, excuse me, if you had Stanford against USC or Utah State against Boise State, complete meltdowns. I mean, I think Stanford was up 20 or 25 at the half. They both led by like five with 10 seconds left. Stanford gave up a two, had the ball, turned it over, gave up a three and fouled. And you're catching, I don't know, three, three and a half. And then obviously USC misses the free throw. Game goes to overtime. And it's lights out. USC covers. Same thing with Utah State, which I'll talk to BJ about. He was actually at the game. Up 18 with three or four to go. I turned it off. Crazy. But, you know, I got to – I have to personally bitch about some two two big 12 games last Saturday. Oak State. Luckily, I had some plus three and a half first half and got some plus seven. Playing Baylor, they're covering the entire game. Look like they're going to win outright. They're down three with the ball with like 12 seconds left off a missed free throw. And they throw it right 
to Baylor. I mean, just right to him. The guy, I guess, didn't – maybe he bet on Baylor. I don't know. But he threw it right to Baylor. So they foul. They got on five. They miss. And then they foul. They go down seven. And then, obviously, they miss at the bell. And then uh, Texas, that meltdown against Kansas. Ugh. So um, those are my two Big 12 meltdowns. I, Colin, I'll go to you next. I know you have some Oregon, Oregon, Washington, because that one was brutal, too. Yeah, that one was bad. I mean, you're taking Washington plus two, uh, leading most of the entire game. Uh, and and I know Randall had Oregon, and, and I, I, I respected the write-up, but I just thought Washington at home, I, I just thought it was too many points for them, you know, goes to overtime. So, the, you know, the, the game finished tied, goes to overtime, and there's that last second three. And it's beautiful if you're an Oregon backer. but Or if you had the under had, like me, that would have lost. Another, uh, <laughs> right, right. I mean, that game was just absolutely brutal. And then, I mean, I had a terrible – Terrible weekend of college hoops, and it was with games like Purdue plus six and a half against Maryland. They lost by seven. Two Anthony Cohen free throws at the end made it seven. That game was cruising most of the time. And then you've already mentioned it, but I don't know what this epidemic is of teams that are in the lead and fouling other teams. NC State minus seven and a half, cruising with a 13-point lead with three minutes left, covering under a minute to go. DJ Funderburk for NC State is fouling Clemson. Why are you fouling the other team when you're ahead? Makes the free throws and a three at the end of the game. Clemson loses by six, but they get the cover. Texas A&M, Missouri the other night, under 124 I was on. Cruising. I mean, 80% chance in the action app, over 80% chance to win the, the this under 124. And Texas A&M up nine, under four minutes, fouled five times. Why are you fouling? Five times when you have a nine-point lead. I don't know what this epidemic is. Is terrible basketball IQ? Is this uh, a lack of, of players? Are, are coaches losing teams because of their focus this time of the season? Like Illinois State's just god-awful. They're, I don't know if they'll win a game. Siena's been god-awful the last three road games. I just don't know if it's talent or basketball IQ, but fouling with the lead under five minutes? What is going on? That, that I lose, no big deal. But when I lose to stupidness like this, that, that just drives me insane. Uh, how about a money line on St. Louis? I mean, I know the spread was big there with Dayton, but give me a break. 20 of 37 from the free throw line in a game that they control throughout. Now, listen, I understand we know that St. Louis can't make free throws. They are the absolute worst, 353rd in the nation, but up 13 with nine minutes left. I mean, can we get that home? And also a little frustrated there. San Diego State was up 13 and a half. They're giving 13 and a half. Nevada backdoored them. Lindsey drew with a steal with 30 seconds left. So I'm figuring, oh, I'm going to lose. Then Drew make, misses the first, the front end there. And I'm like, oh, okay, we're fine. Gets back to the line, makes the second one for the one-point cover there. So you're right. Colin, totally agree with you. Some people are fouling, like Butler the other night against Villanova starts fouling right away. Other teams don't. So I think it's something to pay attention to because you could be looking great at an under. You can be looking very comfortable with a cover. And all of a sudden that happens. Last one I'll mention here is on Monday, Oklahoma-Baylor. Baylor pretty much had that game you know, eight to 10 for most of the second half. And then at the end, they start missing front ends of one and one Reeves wakes up, hits one. He was two of 10 from three point range from deep Brady Manick bangs one in and they end up coming back and doing sort of a backdoor cover there. So the, the free throw fouling is immensely frustrating, but if you can get a read on it, it's a nice hand. It's a nice advantage. Yeah. And speaking of free throws, Ole Miss, who ended up getting a cover because I had a good number uh, over the weekend against LSU, who just continues. This is just like last year. They just win every game by like two to three. But Ole Miss couldn't make a free throw to save their life. Luckily, Tyree went nuts. But then, you know, you think, all right, they're still winless in conference. I'll get a good effort. I had them against Tennessee. Embarrassing effort. I don't know if I'm done with that team or not, but that was sad. M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P. 
Yeah. What is the problem with Mississippi? I mean, last year, Kermit Davis, they actually played really well. They have most of their players back. I mean, they hit a stretch middle of the year last year. They were winning games. They played fantastic. And this year, I mean, the players are back. They're not stopping anyone. That game in Brooklyn against Oklahoma State early in the year, the way they got torched. I don't get it. Like you said, 0-5 in conference, six-game losing streak. Kermit's a great coach, but it's just not clicking this year. Yeah, there's something that's really off that I need to look into before I put money back on them. Another, and we'll get to the Big Ten. Another team that has had me confused with an effort this week is Purdue. You know, I had them against Illinois, and Illinois was really impressive. And when Illinois gets any outside shooting, right, and I'm talking any outside shooting, that team is really dangerous because you know that they're going to have inside, they're going to board, they're going to play some tough defense, and they're going to frustrate you. And then when they're shooting, then all of a sudden that team becomes – really dangerous. And, but, you know, in that spot against Purdue, you know, Illinois had won four straight, a couple, they pulled out by the skin of their teeth. And then, you know, I had Purdue coming in who, you know, lost to Maryland. They lost three of four. And I expect that home where they've been so great and they have such a great home court advantage that you'd get their best effort. And and look, Trent Frazier made a bunch of threes early and that's what makes Illinois dangerous when they're making threes. But Purdue just, the effort wasn't there which was odd to me. And I know that there was some foul trouble, but where the effort shows up is on perimeter defense and on rebounding. And they were just got absolutely dominated on the glass. I believe they got out rebounded 37 to 19 in that game. Um, and that's where the, you know, a lot of times the effort shows up probably have to go back to Purdue uh, against Wisconsin um, tomorrow night. We'll get to that on Friday night lights, but that was another perplexing effort, but there's um, yeah. There's two notes I want to throw in on Illinois, like three of their last four games, they had a losing win expectancy at halftime. So Illinois might be a team you might want to tab for second halves at the same time. Like I was kind of looking through some of our big 10 uh, recap and, and noticing the Illinois schedule in February, they start off with five teams in the top 25. So from a futures perspective, I'm not sure if getting in on them now in the next week is a good idea because they're going to hit the roughest part of their schedule, maybe hold off until maybe the middle of February before touching them because it's a bit, we're going to find out if Illinois is for real, real quick. Yeah. I mean, I, I believe they're a bona fide top 25 team. We, we might as well just talk about the big 10 now, because I think it's a great fade spot for Illinois on Saturday against with Michigan, just on paper. Um, and the one weakness of Illinois, if you look at that, their defense is solid, but they can't shoot, right? They're shooting 30% on the year from three. It's even worse during conference play. It's at like 27%, but you know, on paper, they've won five in a row. Michigan has lost three in a row. They clearly miss Isaiah Livers. I mean, he's uh, a stretch wing that, yeah, is shooting 50% from three, opens up their offense. He's still not practicing. And Juwan Howard said he's not going to play until he practices. So I don't know if he'll play on Saturday. It'll depend on if he practices, you know, to, on Thursday and Friday. Um, so, but on paper, it's a really good spot for Michigan, who's lost three in a row and four or five against Illinois on Saturday. But the Big Ten in general, is so deep. I mean, you could argue this is a conference that gets maybe 12, definitely 10 teams into the NCAA tournament, especially with like a, on a down year for the ACC. Yeah, I think the Big Ten is going to pick up some of the slack there. And, you know, we'll talk about the Mountain West later. That looks like unless someone pulls an upset in the conference tournament, a one-bid league, a lot of people thought it was going to be two. You're going to have a ton of Big Ten teams in the tournament. And one of the other narratives is not only is it deep, the home court advantage, all these home teams continue to win and cover. And I think it makes sense because throw out Northwestern, who's been scrappy, although that 
blowing that cover against Maryland was shocking. But, you know, Northwestern's been scrappy, but they're just an undermanned team. And, and Nebraska is just hard. But you throw out those teams and you're talking about 12 other teams that are in the top 50, arguably top 40. All these spreads, generally speaking, are going to be pretty close. Throw in really good home courts across the Big Ten, and all of a sudden, you have a lot of home teams winning and covering in a league with a lot of parity from one through 12. So I think that Michigan State is the best team in the conference, but it's not by as wide of a margin as I thought. And they've been a little underwhelming at times this year, and especially in the beginning of the year. Something is just a little off with them still, even though I think that they're a top 10 team. Maryland is up there and scary and has the roster, but the results away from home are troubling. Uh, Randall, I'll start with you. What are your thoughts overall top to bottom with the Big Ten? First thing that jumps out to me is Michigan State. Ho-hum is starting to separate again. We'll find out later tonight if they can go on the road and win in Indiana. That line started at two. It's creeped up to, I think, about four right now. I got it at two and a half on the, the action app. But Big I think- weekend for them because you have a two-game road swing at Indiana and at Minnesota. If they win both of those games, that will be huge. And I think that's a big game. You called it. Alan Griffin, of course, he's out for two games now. He gives he hurts their depth a little bit for Illinois because of the two-game suspension for stepping on Stefanovic. But – if Michigan State wins tonight, Illinois loses. Now they're down to six and three. We're talking about a game, game and a half lead. And I just see the cluster of teams in the middle all the same. Maryland, of course, we know the deal with them. Iowa on the road, I don't know if we back them. Rutgers look solid. Okay, couldn't pull it out the other night. Ron Harper Jr. did a nice job. But those teams, Wisconsin, Indiana, they're all sorted together. So it's lining up again for Michigan State and everyone battling in the middle of the conference. I want to ask you guys, why do I trust Ohio State, but don't trust Purdue. Even though Ohio State's 12 and 6, 2 and 5 in conference, for some reason I trust Holtman to get it going, but I don't trust Purdue. I still think Purdue's not going to make the tournament. And no matter how many times Ohio State loses, like five of their last six, I have confidence in them. What do you guys think about that? You're, you're talking about Ohio State, a team that's number one in the conference in three point shooting percentage, and a Purdue team that's second to last, uh, 13th in, yeah. in three point shooting. I mean, there's, there's a large discrepancy on generating points. And really, that's my problem with Rutgers. So to go back to Stuck's point real quick about Rutgers, like last night during the Rutgers-Iowa game, they flashed up uh, a stat that said what the home winning rate was for the Big Ten. Now, it's number one in the nation, but it's 44-10. and 10. Home teams are 44-10 and 10 in the conference play right now. That's an amazing stat. But with Rutgers, if you look at them, their ability to generate points is, is scary because they're playing defense. They're one of the best defenses in, in, in the nation, not just, not just the conference. They just can't generate any points. And Iowa was actually a team that I jumped on and felt more comfortable with because there is certain barriers you need to be able to cross to to get a future bet out of me. And that is what your adjusted offensive efficiency is, defense, and what your margin is. And we talked about this in some pieces that are out on the Action Network, uh, and we need to update them. But, I mean, you can predict national champs, Final Fours, runner-ups, based upon what their number is. Now, offensively, it's been a struggle for a lot of college basketball this year. But the two teams that meet that criteria right now, which is an adjusted margin of 23.81, defensively, you need to be better than 96.2. You need to be lower than that. You need to be above 114 in your uh, adjusted offensive efficiency. And two of those teams right now is Iowa 
and Michigan State. So there was an Iowa 101 the other night. If you look at their schedule, it's the same thing as Michigan State. There's no easy path. This conference schedule, unless you're playing Nebraska, there's nobody easy in conference that you're going to get away playing with. So I don't know when the right time is to buy Michigan State, but I was fully comfortable taking an Iowa 101 the other night, considering they had four of their next six games at home. Uh, I think that they've kind of turned the corner. Luca Garza is just playing completely out of his mind. I think the number two player in Ken Palm for player of the year, but they're one of the teams I actually do believe in. You know, and the other thing too, Colin, you talked about it, half big will travel. I like to fade Uh the early round tournament upset if the team has a solid big. Remember for years, UNC would not lose early. Tyler Hansborough, then they end up having Meeks and Hicks, all the big guys inside Tyler Zeller even, they avoided that upset. So you're talking about a tour right now, Minnesota, we're going to see what they do tonight against Ohio State, but you nailed it with Garza. You have a big, you have a chance to win on the road. Last night, of course, road teams actually ended up going two and one in the Big Ten, so maybe seeing a little bit of a regression there as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, you're right with Rutgers. They can't shoot if they get any any type of perimeter shooting. That team is really dangerous. I think they're high them power rate in the top 25. They're a lock for the tournament. Their defense is legit. And even though they didn't win at Iowa, I thought it was a good showing. And you're right about Garza. I mean, the thing that I would say about Illinois is that they're they're running. A little good, I would say, uh, from three-point defense, but they can't shoot, but they haven't been able to shoot all year. They're shooting 30% from three. And then you mentioned Purdue and Iowa State. I mean, Ohio State. Ohio State, you know, they started off so well, and they're, they're, I think that their perimeter defensive numbers were just way inflated, and they were due for some regression. And it's come hard. I mean, in conference, teams are shooting close to 39% from three. So while they are shooting over 37%, you know, they're giving up close to 39% from three. And this is one of the best perimeter defenses in the country. I still trust their perimeter defense, you know, to be a lot better than it has been. So I think that you'll see some better results on that end. And then with Purdue, it, it just comes down to their offense. I mean, they're a snail, one of the slowest teams in the country. Just haven't been able to make a shot in conference, but they need someone to step up. And I know that Aaron Wheeler just went, he was what, one of 20 from three over a couple game stretch. I mean, they just need some shots to fall. They still have one of the best home courts in the Big Ten and all of college basketball, but you're not going to win games without shooting the ball. I think the Big Ten tournament is going to be wide open. It's Uh basically throw out Nebraska and Northwestern and it comes down to matchups. And I think all of these teams going through this gauntlet of a conference schedule playing in these, you know, raucous in front of these raucous away crowds. I think they're going to be better for it come March. And a, a lot of these teams have good, reliable interior post players, which you can rely on, as you said, if you had to take one team, Michigan state's the obvious answer, you know, to make a deep run, in the tournament, uh, I think Iowa, like you said, Colin is a good answer, and you have you have a future on that. Let's let them. I'll let you talk to that. But Penn State, we haven't even mentioned Penn right. State's defense is really good, and they have a star in Lamar Stevens, a really experienced team too. And they're not benefiting from a crazy home court. They're one of the teams where you you know they they basically play in a in a cavern. Uh, and then I have to mention Wisconsin because if Wisconsin can just make shots and it comes down to you know their perimeter players who are very streaky and they're they're shooting pretty well in conference play you know but if you have guys like Kobe King is making threes if Demetri Trice is making his shots and he's you know he's shooting 35% from three on the air if Pritzel is making his shots these are guys who are streaky yet on the outside now Michael Potter playing a lot better he's going to op- open it up for Nate Reavers they have to post play inside they're also a snail like Purdue one of the slowest teams in the country so they're going to grind you. They're going to be in the games. They have great post play. They're going to play 
solid top 20, 25 defense overall. If they're making shots from the outside, team is dangerous. They're also great from the line. But talking about deep runs, who are you you looking at? I'm going to stay with Ohio State. If I had to pick a team besides Michigan State, I'll go with Ohio State. I think they have all the pieces. They have to be able to shoot threes. So like you said, a team that struggles to score, it's tough for me to go with them. But Ohio State, despite the fact they lost, I'm hanging my my hat here on the fact that last year, Texas Tech and Auburn lost three games in a row. Now, the losing streaks got a little bit much for Ohio State. But as long as Caleb Wesson doesn't get in foul trouble, this is a solid team. Dwayne Washington, 45% from three. DJ Carton, 38. He's getting better. Andre West, even 47. CJ Walker, Kyle Young is back after the appendix. So the pieces are there. It's just not clicking. But I believe in Holtman. They can shoot the three. They have a big inside. They've had some big wins early. So I I would bank on them to come around besides Michigan State. That'd be my second team. I mean, I'm Team Iowa all the way. And the one thing I'll point out, and then I'll jump to two other teams you just mentioned, you're, is you're that Iowa has... Oh, you're trusting old Fran. Oh, God, Coach oh, Fran. Geez. This guy. I mean, I, I don't... tactical in the first round and like the first 10 minutes, then he might get... He'll cost his team a game. He's going to... He may cost his team the season. The guy is more worried about his pride and about getting his point across than he is about the better of the team, so... I regret that. I'm sorry. And I accept full responsibility. That's not a... Recipe for success. Solid hair, uh, but the <laughs> hair doesn't move. A solid, no matter how angry he gets, he does a good job. And the wind really blows in Iowa, and for him to have hair that 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 great, you know, to come in <laughs> off the blowing wind and have that, I'm impressed. That's that's unfortunate, but that's the reality of the situation. I'll be able to handle this. Uh, two other teams I want to mention. I might. Next lead into Penn State, because I know you mentioned Penn State, but we, I don't think we've talked about them enough. They're one of them, along with Iowa, have the most quadrant one wins in the entire conference, sitting at five. They also have three quadrant two wins, uh, and they just had a road victory, one, uh, one of those rare road victories against Michigan. And if you look at Penn State's schedule, and this is where they differ from Wisconsin. If you look at Penn State's schedule, they still have three really easy games. They have Nebraska and they have Northwestern twice. So there are some uh, you know potential gaps in the schedule where they don't have to play their, their hardest. Penn State may be a team that I'll be looking at in the future because they're, I mean, five quarter one wins. It's pretty impressive to me and winning on the road. But Wisconsin is a completely different story for me. They're 350th in the nation in tempo. Their offensive possessions are like the slowest in all of college basketball. And I want to wait on their futures because three of their next five games are on the road. Two of their home games are against top 15 Michigan State and Ohio State. I will happily wait over the next five games with the Badgers and and get a better number on everything because these next five, especially the two home games are going to be rough for them. Yeah, but I mean, I will mention that that Wisconsin has a couple of those road wins. Then, you know, we know how few and far between they've been. So something to keep in mind. But yeah, I, Iowa is worth mentioning. Because everyone talks about Luca Garza as they should. He's a book, true player of the year candidate. He has been amazing. I mean, he can kill you from the inside, from the outside, from, you know, mid-range. I mean, the guy's shooting 38% from three. You get, people need to start talking about Joe Toussaint also, mm-hmm. freshman. I think it's a really solid team that's actually playing a little bit of defense. This is a yeah. team, I think, on Kempom, it's top five in offensive efficiency. But a lot of times you see these Iowa teams with really good offenses, but they're not playing any defense whatsoever. They are playing pretty good defense. It's not elite by any stretch. It's good enough to make a run, especially this year. And it's it's funny to me that the one team we haven't talked about is Maryland because, you know, their defensive metrics are unbelievable. They are have as much talent as anybody in the Big Ten with Cohen and Jalen Smith and, you know, Wiggins and Al. But I just don't trust Turgeon and I don't trust their turnover issues. I mean, that's 
what I didn't trust last year. They also need to just shoot better from the outside to open up the offense. But, you know, again, conference play this year, they're turning it over nearly 20% of possessions. It's 13th in the conference. Now they are forcing more turnovers than they did last year, um, which, you know, last year they finished 352nd in the nation in turnover defense and forcing turnovers that have only about 14%. They've improved in that area significantly. They're up close to 20%, but they need to fix their turnover issues. There is just way too much parity, even going beyond the Big Ten tournament, but way too much parity this year. In order to make a deep run, you cannot be careless with the ball and just giving away possessions like Maryland does. Maryland to me is is ace-king offsuit in poker. They call that big slick, right? Because it looks good, but it can slide real quick. I mean, this mm-hmm. is still a team. Away at Penn State, they lose. Seton Hall, no Miles Powell. They find a way to lose that game. At Iowa, lose by almost 20. At Wisconsin, lose. I mean, I just, congratulations on the comeback against Northwestern. And listen, I agree with you, Stuck. They look good. They have the pieces. Jalen Smith, Cowan hits big shots. Whole thing, it's Illinois. But honestly, to me, they're fool's gold. Do you want to call them, what they call Ace Queen, Jessica Simpson? Looks good, nothing there. I mean, however you want to phrase it, whatever poker phrase you want to use, they have to show me something first before I buy in. Not only do they turn it over a bunch, but they're shooting threes at such a high clip, but they're not shooting them well. And I know it's smart to you know go inside or shoot threes, but their yeah. offense to me, is, it's just not efficient. They have not been good on the road whatsoever. I mean, you talk about the Northwestern win. Their next three road games are against Illinois, Michigan State, and Ohio State. So I don't think we're going to be talking about Maryland very long. All right. So that's kind of a look at the Big Ten. And like I said on the first college basketball episode, we'll have episodes on each of the conference tournaments. So we'll have a dedicated episode for the Big Ten. So we'll, and we'll be talking about the Big Ten, obviously, throughout the rest of the year. But that's just kind of a little little bit of a touch. And you, you so you bought some Iowa futures, right, Colin? Yeah, yeah. I, I got down. Uh, there was 100 to 1 floating around out there. I noticed most shops were at 50, 55 to 1. And you mentioned Joe Toussaint. He's top 35 individually in the nation in steal percentage. I mean, the kid is everywhere. You watched that Rutgers game last night. He's everywhere on the court. One of the best players in the nation with Luca Garza. It was a perfect time in the schedule to buy him just because of how many home games they have uh, uh, coming up here in the near future. Yeah, the only Big Ten feature that I have is the one that I added, Wisconsin, 80 to 1 that I mentioned in the first podcast. Do you have any Big Ten features pending or that you've added? Yeah, the one that I bought into was Minnesota. I, I mean, I think I got it 750, something like that. I mean, I, they have the big, they've impressed me early. They have to get a win. I mean, tonight would be really nice, but, you know, if Cassius Winston gets hurt for a couple of games, he's about as important to his team as anyone. So, you know, it's sort of like the reverse logic that I use with WCC also. I mean, there's no value in Michigan State, there's no value in Gonzaga. So identify the team that you think has the pieces that can maybe challenge the team at the top. Minnesota's been really impressive and has a home court advantage. So, why not? From the Southern to the Summit League, the MEAC and the Missouri Valley, there are over 350 Division I programs. So let's get acquainted. This is Conference Confidential. Okay, so now we are joined by BJ Reigns, uh, an old friend of mine on Twitter from actually uh, the St. Louis Cardinals days. But uh, he's now a Boise State beat writer for the Idaho Press and editor at Blue Turf Sports, uh, also a voter in the AP Top 25. What's going on, BJ? Not much, man. Yeah, I remember the days back when you were a, a huge Cincinnati Reds fan, at least for, for some of your wagers, and kind of would rub me the wrong way at times. But uh, it's, it's all good, man. It's all business. Yeah, so we, I've said before, I don't know if you listened to our first college basketball podcast, but we basically want to get people on from all over the country that you know cover a specific conference and get their specific insights, since there's so many teams. I think that there's a lot of value to that. And I know that you follow 
Boise State specifically, but also the Mountain West Conference in general. There's a lot of interest now in San Diego State. We will get to them. We will get to Boise, who I think, you know, if people are looking for a sleeper next year, everything pans out. The roster looks pretty uh, intriguing for next year. But let's start at a game that you were just at, uh, Utah State. I believe you were there. Utah State, Boise State, in a game I turned off because I said this game is over. And then I didn't even see the score on the bottom line. Someone, I was talking about some other bad beat, and someone came on and said, yeah, how about Utah State? And I said, what? You were there? Tell me about how that happened and what were your thoughts. Yeah, that was crazy. I mean, I had my whole story written, uh, basically uh, saying how it was the third loss in a row for Boise, and their season's kind of going in the wrong direction. And I'm not really paying attention, and crowd starts cheering a little bit, and then you, oh, that's cool, that's cool. Then you look up, and all of a sudden, it's only down nine with like a minute 30 left. And you're like, okay, I guess I got to at least pay attention here a little bit. And then next thing you know, it's 66 to 60, and then they steal the inbounds. And it was a combination of a lot of luck that went in Boise State's favor, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, really, you know, making some plays down the stretch, but also a major collapse from Utah State. And they've obviously been a little bit of a disappointment this year. Uh, the Aggies, whether it's, uh, you know, with Kata being injured or just, just something hasn't been right with Utah State. And so um, Boise State just had one of those memorable comebacks. And I think it was 18 points in the last 410, which ties for the second greatest margin to overcome in the last five minutes of the game. And, um, you know, they, they won in overtime. And it was, you know, they're hoping a huge win to move them forward. But I think for as much credit as they deserve, Utah State deserves, you know, just as much blame for an epic choke job. Boise State had a historic meltdown too, right? Against Nevada, maybe? Last year, they had one. Actually, they had a lot of them last year. Yeah, but they actually had one against Utah State last year. They were up uh, five with like 40 seconds left in Boise. Missed a couple free throws, and Sam Merrill had an and one. And Utah State actually uh, came, you know, pulled off the comeback. It wasn't quite as big, but Boise State, yeah, blew the lead to them. And then, yeah, they had one where they blew to Nevada. I mean, Boise State blew a ton of close games last year. But, um, yeah, they did get a little bit of payback on Utah State for who uh, came in last year and stole one from. Let me talk about this Boise State team. I'm curious to get your just your overall thoughts on the team and how they'll finish down the stretch, but also next year. I mean, you bring in a big man, Armis, the East Tennessee State transfer. You know, you got Ray J. Dennis, Marcus Shaver at the point. You'll have Austin on the wing. I mean, there, there's a, a number of players on the wing. This team could be pretty good next year, but what are your thoughts on this year and then headed into next year if everything works out? You know, I'm, I'm uh, getting ready to get on a flight tomorrow to head to Fresno and they play at Fresno State on Saturday. And that'll be an interesting game just because Fresno is not very good, but they're better than maybe their record shows. And they're, you know, I think Ken Palm actually has Fresno State's favorite to win by two. But if Boise State can win that one, and they've got San Jose and, and you know, up after that, Wyoming coming up, Nevada at home. I mean, it could be a five-game win streak here for Boise State where they're looking up in a little bit and they're a week and a half and they're eight and four in league and 16 and eight overall. And people are starting to have a better feeling about this game. I think Saturday is a big game for them. But, you know, obviously it's kind of a retooling year. I wouldn't say rebuilding. Last year they lost a lot of close games, as I said. Uh, it was their first 20 loss season in program history. But before that, they had won, you know, at least 20 games six years in a row. So Leon Rice has kind of at least had them competitive near the top of the league every year. And so last year was just such a shock to see them go down. And then this year didn't start off great early uh, either. And so a lot of fans around here were kind of dejected. But they've got a lot of talent. They've got some seniors. You know, they they added an Oregon transfer at the semester, and, and he's made a big impact. Um, but they've played a tough schedule. They've already played, you know, at the three hardest places in the league and playing at New Mexico. You know, when they had all their full complement of players back in December, they've already played at San Diego State, at uh, Nevada. So they've had some tough games in the league, and so they're sitting at 4-4. Four and four, and Maybe to some, that's kind of a disappointment. But they still play San Jose twice. They still get 
uh, you know, Wyoming again. They, they still have a lot of winnable games. The Air Force again. I think they'll probably be somewhere around that 20-win mark again. And then you mentioned next year. I mean, you didn't even mention they'd be the two most talented guys that are getting eligible. And those are two four-star transfers from Arizona. You know, they have Emmanuel Acott, who is a yeah, top 25 recruit. They thought they were going to have him this year. They really thought they were going to get him eligible this year, but uh, it didn't happen. So he's sitting out, and they're going to have Acott. And then you know, they had another Arizona transfer that transferred at semester, another four-star kid. So he's going to sit out, and he'll be eligible next December. You mentioned, you know, with what they expect from Shaver, a guy that averaged 15 points a game, you know, two years at, uh, you know, at Portland. Armis was the, you know, double-double guy at East Tennessee State. Plus, they have the Oregon transfer, uh, Abu Kijab, this year that'll be back next year. Alston, some people thought might go to the NBA, but you know, he needs another year. I think he's probably coming back, and he's averaging 20 points a game right now himself. And then everybody saw this freshman point guard, Ray J. Dennis, who scored the 19 points by himself in the last three minutes of that game to force overtime. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, some fans don't want to hear it around here. A lot of boys you say, fans, oh, let's always wait till next year with Leon's teams. But they really do have the chance to be a potential, you know, you would think, you know, borderline top 25 team with all the talent they have on next year's roster for sure. Yeah, I think they're going to be the favorite in the Mountain West and an intriguing future that we'll get to after this year. But yeah, Dutreve, I think his name is from Arizona. It's like the all-name team. I don't. I mean, you have Ray J. Dennis, <laughs> Abu Kijab, Emmanuel Acott, Devanye Dutreve, Maladin Armis. I mean, it's going to be uh, oh, yeah. announcing those games are going to be tough. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And I, you know what? I think their scout team, all these guys sitting out, like probably are beating the current team right now in practice. So probably, as Leon Rice jokes, the best scout team in America with all their transfers that are sitting out this year. But uh, the future does appear bright for them moving forward. But I, uh, Leon Rice doesn't like to hear it. He wants to talk about this year. And he still thinks they can make a run and, and get things going. And maybe that 18-point comeback was kind of the spark they needed. Yeah. Now, let's talk about, you know, you're an AP top 25 voter. And San Diego State obviously deserves to be right near the top, top 10. But the Mountain West in general, from top to bottom, I think it's been a little disappointing, uh, you know, especially Utah State. They've dealt with some injuries. I think that they're going to have a shot in the Mountain West Conference tournament, at least, to get there. But how good is San Diego State, really? And it's one of those things where it's sort of Gonzaga-esque, right? They're going to go through the the conference and they're going to win almost every game. So it's hard to gauge. But they did have some games early on in the year on neutral courts and against better competition where, look, they're still undefeated. So, I mean, when someone asks you, how do you answer how good the Aztecs actually are? Yeah, I mean, I saw them in person uh, two weeks ago down in San Diego, and uh, they beat Boise State pretty handedly. And, and you know, the, the Malachi Flynn and K.J. Fagan and some of these, uh, you know, transfers they brought in are, are just, they just changed the complexion of that because they've got guards and, and they've got experienced guards. And everybody knows, you know, experienced guards are kind of what you want and, and, you know, talented, obviously. But if they can have experience and be veteran guys, you know, that, that's kind of what the recipe for success, especially, you know, in the tournament when the games are important. And so yeah, I was really impressed with, uh, you know, their outside shooting ability. They're able to stretch the defense. And you're right. There's always going to be some questions for them. I mean, the, the Iowa win is looking really nice. The Creighton win. But you're right. I mean, Utah State has been a disappointment. New Mexico got off to a hot start. And now it's having a lot of issues uh, off the court and stuff. So they're becoming a disappointment. And yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people thought this was going to be a two-bid league at least. And maybe it would be a third team that would push. But now Utah State, you know, probably would have to like run the table or something to, to be, you know, have a good shot at it in that large. So there, there's a very decent chance that San Diego State goes into the tournament undefeated. I mean, you look at uh, Ken Palm, they're projected like by at least eight points, I think, in every game the rest of the season. Now, 
they probably going to slip up somewhere at some point? Yes. I mean, they have to play at UNLV on Sunday. That's going to be an interesting game, I think, coming up. They still play uh, at New Mexico next week. They still do play at Boise. They've still got most of their hard Mountain West road games still ahead, and it's really hard to win on the road in this league. So somebody will probably clip them off at some point on the road when they have a rough day, but they're certainly uh, you know, deserving at this point, I think, that the, they're, they're not just winning. They're blowing teams out, winning by like 20 points a game. Their you know, defensive metrics are all very good, like they usually are, you know, for going from Steve Fisher to Brian Dutcher. So I've been very impressed with them. And unfortunately, the league is not helping their credibility or anything. But I, I think that, uh, you know, when they're on, they're, they're as good as anybody in the country, it seems like, because they've got the combination of a you know inside-outside game. And it's been really impressive. Yeah, and they've also dealt with some injuries along the way, too. So it's not like they've even been fully healthy and they've looked that good. It'll also be interesting to see for UNLV on Sunday if uh, Mitru Long can return. And I think UNLV will be catching maybe close to 10, but he hasn't played in a while. So if he can come back, that'll certainly help the Rebels case. And you're right about New Mexico losing Bragg hurts them. And then we knew Nevada was going to have a down year after everything that they lost. But when you look at the entirety of this conference outside of San Diego State, who do you think has, you know, if you had to put money on one team once the conference tournament starts um, to, you know, besides San Diego State to take them out? Are you going Utah State? Are you going on a, you know, semi-hot Colorado State team that hasn't really beat anybody yet, but has looked a little better here late? Are you going Boise or are you going somewhere else? Who do you think has poses the biggest threat to San Diego State if you had to put money on? Yeah, I mean, I still think it probably has to be Utah State. I just saw them the other day and just something doesn't seem right with them. But you look at the, you look at the talent they have and you, Sam Merrill is the, you know, the most unassuming, unathletic 30-point-in-a-game guy you're ever going to see. I mean, the guy just, he looks like he'd be playing down at the local YMCA, and then he's, you know, hitting five threes in a row on you. So Sam Merrill is a heck of a player. Uh, you know, Kata can be a game changer if he can stay out of foul trouble. And that was kind of the problem against Boise State. He fouled out actually right when they started their comeback. I think Utah State, because they've still got, you know, Brock Miller and Abel Porter and some of the, you know, Bean, some of these other guys, they've got a lot of veteran role players. And so I, I think Utah State, if they can figure it out, still in terms of talent and experience, has an opportunity. It would not shock me to all of a sudden look up in the third week of March and the Utah State's in the Sweet 16. I mean, they, they have the talent. I just think they've underachieved to this point if they can get it going. But I, I'm not a believer in Colorado State yet. I mean, I know they've won five in a row. They obviously hit the 19 threes against New Mexico last week, but I mean, they've beat up on mostly bad teams, Wyoming, San Jose State, uh, Air Force, and Fresno. So uh, I want to see what they do moving forward. They play Utah State this weekend, and then they've got Nevada and UNLV after that. So um, they're a nice story right now, but I don't think long-term Colorado State is is much for me. But, uh, you know, New Mexico, are they going to be able to salvage this, or are they in a downhill spiral here? I think that's going to be curious to watch. With You mentioned Bragg, but they've got some other injuries. They had another player that was suspended from the team for a legal issue. Um, They've got a lot going on. And, and, uh, um, I just, you know, the the league's pretty top heavy. I mean, there's not a lot going on with Wyoming and San Jose. And although San Jose has as many conference wins this year as they had in the last two years combined. So, um, it's an interesting league. It's a lot of tough road trips. You know, a lot of these teams don't charter like a lot of leagues do. And they're taking, you know, uh, you know, Boise state tomorrow has to, you know, connect in Salt Lake city to get to Fresno. And, uh, these teams, it's just rough on the road and it's rough in this conference. And so it's, you're seeing a lot of weird scores and a lot of upsets in, in the Mountain West this year. And I, it wouldn't shock me if that continues the rest of the way. Cause there's a lot of parody in this league. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And Twitter follower of mine actually mentioned today, which will be interesting, is that the Mountain West Conference tournament, it's moved up a week this year. So will the winner say it is San Diego State or, you know, if it is, especially San Diego State, it runs the table. And then you have now, you know, a two week break in between games. How does that impact uh, the winner in the first round? 
Yeah, and that impacted them already because they had to move conference games into early December. There's like some big construction conference in Vegas that happens once every like five years, and it's like 120,000 people come to this conference, and it makes the hotel prices and everything just insanely high. And so they tried to battle it a couple years ago, and it was horrible. So they said, we're just going to move it up a week. And it's had a lot of impact on, uh, you know, as I said, having to play league games earlier in the year. And then now you're talking about the championship game. Yeah, being on the Saturday, probably have almost two weeks off before that Thursday open in the tournament. So, um, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays into it. I know the coaches are not huge fans of the way it worked out. I mean, the other alternative was playing it like at San Diego State or another venue and keeping it when it was, and they weren't crazy about that either. So it wasn't a lot of good alternatives, um, but uh, that's kind of what they were stuck with for this year. And I think next year it'll go back, I believe, to uh, the regular time. Yep. And, uh, yeah, it's it's. I've been there for many I've been to Vegas many times for that weekend and it's, it's sad. It's not going to be Malice conference tournaments. I could be there. New Mexico fans actually travel really well that weekend. I always remember them. They're always in the book, but uh, that's usually a staple of that weekend. All right. UNLV is, can they UNLV win it? Even though they never do got to go back to, I think, wink, wink <laughs> yeah, Adams. Yeah, but you also have like the Pac-12 tournament going on, yep. the WCC tournament going on, and they had the WAC tournament for a while was there too. But there was the time where they had four conference tournaments all kind of going on at the same time or overlapping, and it was it was awesome. So I think the WCC tournament will like just be getting going kind of as this is ending now, and then the, when that's over, then the Pac-12 will go. So they're a little more spread out now, but uh, yeah, it's you know no, no, nothing beats. I actually like Vegas better for the conference tournament than Agreed. the NCAA tournament because you've got more games and more games all day and it's cheaper, uh, less you know. lines. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The sports book and the life you like a lot better. It's easier to get up to the window and stuff. I I'm actually usually there, obviously covering the mountain West tournament. I, I enjoy all the other games for conference tournaments that are going on during the day there. So it'll be weird having it. What is, I know it's like uh, Missouri Valley, right? Don't they have it that weekend? There's a couple yep. conference tournaments. It's one of the first few days though. So it'll be a different feel for sure. Yeah. It definitely takes away the luster of that weekend, but yeah, I agree. I've said it many times. You, you got to go to Vegas once for for the first weekend, you know, and you're younger and you go, but then if you want to go on repeat trips and you have a choice, that, that conference tournament weekend, and look, you can start next year and the Mountain West conference tournament, I assume will be on that weekend before we let you go. I just want to get a kind of a football, I guess maybe basketball question. I don't think so, but what, what there, I'm hearing some rumors on Boise state conference move. You got anything there? Well, yeah, I mean, they sued the Mountain West because they're not happy with their TV deal. The conference needs Boise State. The conference needs their ratings. It does impact basketball a little bit. They announced a new deal, you know, recently that's for football and basketball. They're going to be on CBS Sports, but also they're basically getting rid of ESPN and uh, for Fox and Fox Sports 1 instead. And so Boise State didn't like that. Boise State, you know, the, the long story short gets a, you know, they agreed when they came back to the conference in like 2013 that they basically get a bonus for their home games. They get extra money than the rest of the league. And so the rest of the league was fed up with it, tried to vote out that clause. And now Boise State says, oh, no, it's in the contract. We get you know this extra money for our home games and all this. It's looking bad. but uh, And everyone's saying, oh, the American, maybe they'll take them. And, oh, you know, what about the Pac-12 in six years? Who knows? But I, I would suspect the Mountain West realizes how badly they need Boise State here. And in the end, they'll probably avoid any kind of actual you know jury trial in this. I think they'll find common ground and Boise State you know, get the money they want. But it's, it's looking bad right now now it's a public you know fight between the two sides which certainly doesn't look good for the conference yeah kind of a figure what your answer was going to be that in this fight boise state has the leverage which ultimately usually decides who's going to win um all right well I, we appreciate you joining us bj and uh if you aren't following already you can follow him on twitter at bj reigns for all of your boise state other mountain west conference and sports throughout the year uh i appreciate you joining us and uh thanks again bj no problem man good to chat with you anytime 
All right. So thanks again to BJ. Before we move on to this weekend, just want to get your thoughts on the Mountain West. We know how good San Diego State is. An interesting combo is San Diego State wins out and Gonzaga wins out. Who gets the one seed out West? That's intriguing. We'll talk about that closer to March. But San Diego State's going to be a one or a two seed. And I don't, and, you know, unless they, you know, have a couple bad losses here. But the question is, can the Mountain West get a second team into the tournament? And I'll start with just Utah State. This is a team that I have a future on from, you know, it's a long shot future, but from before the season. And this is a team that beat Florida on a neutral court and beat LSU on a neutral court, right? And their only two losses were to St. Mary's and BYU coming into conference play. Then they lose to UNLV, get trucked. And then they come home in a great spot, lose to San Diego State. Then they get blown out in the second half to Air Force. They blow that 18-point lead to Boise State, which I think will ultimately cost them an at-large uh, or a shot in at-large unless you know they win out or obviously if they win the conference tournament. Now, they've dealt with a lot of injuries. They lack just a certain amount of athleticism that I would like to see, but this is still, you know, this team is getting healthier. I think this team, I'm still banking on them to win the conference tournament. I think that they're going to give San Diego State a game the next time they play them. Um, it's a really experienced team, a really well-coached team, a tall team, a solid defensive team. Um, they can rebound. It's just that they dealt with some injuries and a hard stretch to start conference play. So I'm going with Utah State as the team that gets the second bid and wins the conference tournament. What say you? I'll start with you, Colin. Anything on the Mountain West? I, I really took it to task to try to find a weakness in the San Diego State team. Uh, I mean, between Malachi Flynn and Yanni Wetzel and, and Matt Mitchell. The greatest player on the West Coast, Matt Mitchell. W- wait, what? Not our producer, uh, San Diego State's Matt Mitchell. I mean, these are three of the top five players in, in all of the Mountain West. And to find somebody to challenge him, it was really hard. So what I did is kind of look at San Diego State and they run the slowest tempo and they have the highest efficiency and field goal percentage. They're number one in a ton of categories. They're kind of mid-range and defensive rebounding. And so can anybody expose that? Uh, can anybody, you know, play a quick tempo, which they don't do? And can anybody hit threes against them? And the two teams that kind of shook out of that were Colorado State and New Mexico, two fastest tempo teams in the conference. Uh, that would be a different, that would be a change of pace. Can they hit the threes against them? I don't know, because San Diego State is number one in the conference in defending the arc, and they don't really have any rebounding edge on them. They don't really have any steals or or trying to beat them in transition. You know, Nevada and Colorado State have a better three-point percentage than San Diego State offensively, but both have already been whacked by 13 and by 22, respectively. Uh, UNLV has, you know, the offensive rebounding edge. They're number one in the Mountain West, but they're awful in defensive turnovers and defending the arc. So I just could not come up with anybody that could challenge San Diego State. It may be a thing where it's just lay it and play it once we get to the conference tournament. Whether they get the number one overall seed or not, I don't know if I'm going to back these guys. I mean, Mountain West is considered to be the 10th strongest conference per Ken Palm. And, you know, San Diego State did beat BYU by five away from home. Uh, Creighton and Iowa on a neutral, but that seems like a lifetime ago. So uh, I don't know. I think I'm going to lay it and play it through the conference tournament, but I don't know if this is a team I'm going to play on during the tournament. Yeah, uh, but I would be cautious on New Mexico. I mean, New Mexico lost... Bragg, um, just such a highly recruited kid who's been all over the place, and it's unfortunate what happened to him. Um, Jaquan Lyles, her, they have a couple other players. It's just, it's a mess at Mexico right now. Um, I don't, and Colorado State's hot, but I don't necessarily know if I trust what I've seen so far. Randall, what, what about you? Thoughts on Mountain West? 
Yeah, Colorado State, it seems like a year away to me, but I'm looking at a team that can make a run in the conference tournament. That backcourt of Isaiah Stevens and David Roddy, those guys are impressive. Both freshmen, by the way. Colorado State playing very, very well, had a comfortable win last night. The other one that I think could make a run, I think UNLV could make a run. I was really impressed, even though they lost to Nevada last night. They pound the boards. Amari Hardy, he attacks the basket. You can't stop him. He started making some threes early. He's 34% from three-point range, including a one-of-ten brutal performance at Wyoming. Bryce Hamilton dropped 35 against New Mexico. So listen, do I think that there's another team that can make a run in the tournament and knock off San Diego State? Probably not. But if you told me that a team did, I love Utah State, by the way. I think they can definitely exact revenge at San Diego State because Keita is still coming along. He's not right. And not having Nathan Menza with the respiratory issues, got the blood clot in his lungs, that's going to hurt San Diego State because again, it's a Jenga puzzle. He was a starting forward for them. Them. That hurts their depth a little bit. All you need is a bad shooting night from Matt Mitchell. You know, so it's a very fine line. I, I, I've said it. If San Diego State can get through these next four games, I would be really impressed. But this game on Saturday against UNLV, it's a show me game for UNLV if I think they can actually make a run because they're home. Ken Palm has it at nine. I think that's way too much. They rebound well, which is something that will travel. They just got to, as Colin said, cut out the turnovers. So two I would look at, maybe take a shot at, are Colorado State and UNLV if they get hot end of the year. By the way, keep in mind with New Mexico, Vance Jackson's hurt now. I mean, Bragg was 6'10". They, they don't have a, I think they have one player on the team that's taller than 6'7". Now, with these injuries uh, and suspensions of late. So keep that in mind. Uh, I agree with you on UNLV. It'll be interesting to see if uh, Mitru Long is back. Any, any word there? That's the thing. He was on the bench last night, and they talked about that. He had it like 29 or 25 before he got hurt and went out there with a the high ankle sprain. So he comes back. That's another dangerous weapon. It just, it's a situation spot here. San Diego State rolling along. UNLV gets you know handled pretty well by Nevada last night. Maybe a look-ahead game. They played well, and they blitzed Utah State at home, beat them by 20. So I think it's a real tough spot for them. I'm curious to see how they're going to handle it. Yep, completely agree. So let's move on. Uh, let's start on Friday night. Why let football have all the fun? Let's bet Friday night lights. And then, by the way, this is one of the worst sports weekends of the entire year. But for, college, stop. Bas- for college basketball fans, it doesn't really matter because there's a full college basketball slate. But it's in January. You're used to football. There's only the Pro Bowl. There's not. There's no NHL. I mean, NBA teams are in. I assume they're in tank mode already. And obviously, there's worse sporting weekends in the summer. But it's just from what you're used to. What we'll get back into. And it's not like you have a ton of elite college basketball top 25 matchups. But again, it's still a great weekend. How can you just throw the Royal Rumble under the bus like this? It's one of the greatest WWE wrestling uh, events of of the year. Give you your one to two minutes. There's a piece out there. Go ahead. Listen, you can go on to DraftKings. You can can draft six wrestlers, men and women, to win the Royal Rumble and collect points. Article coming out at Action Network. It's all for us uh, WWE, booger eater, nerds, smarks, whatever you want to call us. Is that it? Who, do you have a, a bet you want to give out? Or you? I wanted to get in on Friday night before you took it because Sienna's playing. Maris is winner of two straight, even as a dog against Manhattan in some overtime. Sienna's just a dumpster fire. Lost four or five. Uh, they I believe they had to cover 10 against. in a row or 10 or 11. Yeah, I mean. 10 of 11 on the road. It's gross. Yeah, this team, Sienna and Illinois State are tops on my list to so just fade for the rest of the year until I lose some money because like Sienna, uh, Illinois State has got some chemistry issues. They've got some mental issues, some hurdles they haven't gotten over. The coach 
coach has talked about how he's lost lost the locker room, about how they had a bunch of transfers came in and sat down, and then it was a mistake to let them sit out, and now they're playing this year. None of them like each other. None of them like him. So that's Illinois State. But as far as Siena goes, it's the same thing. Like, they just can't get anything going. And so I'm, I'm going to back Marist here. Siena's a, a fadeaway oh team for me. Marist. Yeah, for me on Friday night, I mean – the Mac is so weird, by the way. I mean, I have almost like every team except the bottom, like Marist and Peters are like so similar. And Siena just can't seem to cover, especially on the road. Some spots that I had circled, you know, I already mentioned Purdue. It's a great situational spot. If they could just hit some shots against Wisconsin. I would also potentially take a look at Butler running a little too good to start the year. And they were a little overrated. And, you know, they lost to Seton Hall at home. Then they lost, got blown out by DePaul. They lost to Villanova. We obviously know they have a great home court. They're coming home to play Marquette, which is, you know, Dave Marquette has, has been a team that's been kind to me this year, whether I play or fade the Marquette, you know, one at Georgetown, they come back, they roll St. John's. Before that, they rolled Xavier. So you have two teams that have been heading in different directions, but I still don't necessarily trust Marquette on the road. It's still a one-man band to me. You know, Butler has a great perimeter defense, so they can really at least contain Marcus Howard a little bit. So Butler at home coming off those losses, uh, I think is in a good spot here. What do you got for Friday night, Randall? Yeah, I love the horizon. I'm going to be watching Bright State, Northern Kentucky, top two teams preseason in the horizon. So these are the creme de la creme. Northern Kentucky's won five in a row, but they still don't have Dantes Walton, who's the leading scorer. Uh, he missed the past nine games. He has an upper chest shoulder injury. It looks like Darren Horn said head coach that he's coming back. But the question is, he's got to feel comfortable putting him back in. He was 18.7 rebounds. So that's a big, big deal for them. A junior Jalen Tate did return from a broken hand. So he's back on track. Wright State is playing great. They're seven and one in the horizon, only had that four point loss to Illinois, Chicago. Loud and love, he's 15 and 10. But of course, the issue with Wright State is the free throw 65.8%. Love's at 49.4%. Mm, last seven. The ball a ton, obviously. Yeah, that's the issue. Last seven regular season games between these two have been determined by an average of 3.8 points. So it's a great Horizon League battle. Looks like Wright State favored by about two or three, but that's a big one there. The winner of this game could make some noise in March. All right, let's move on to Saturday. So many games, so little time. Let's look at the Saturday slate. I'm going to have a piece uh, like I do each week on my favorite situational spots and regression candidates. You know, Michigan, uh, you got to keep an eye on Isaiah Livers, but it's obviously a great spot. Providence at home against Villanova. Villanova has been running extremely well. Their teams are, just can't make a shot against them. I mean, look at, look at Butler the other night. They've been rolling in conference, going up to a Providence team that's really physical and, and generally plays Villanova pretty well. I think Providence wins that game, probably get them as a short home dog. Uh, Florida, home dog against Baylor, worth a look. Baylor is just flirting with a loss here as the number one team, and I think that could be it this weekend. Uh, Miss State, it's worth mentioning. The Miss State is... You know, I was early on them against Auburn when Witherspoon came back. But since then, you know, they've found something at Mississippi State. So they've been playing some really good ball of late. You know, they crushed Missouri by about 30. They should have beat LSU. They lost at the buzzer. You know, then they rolled Georgia. They beat Arkansas by seven. So at Oklahoma, I think maybe worth a look with the way that they've been playing. The best one on the board is probably Texas. 
you know, Texas uh, against a, they're coming off one of the most embarrassing losses. And this is Shaka Smart's on the hot seat and rightfully so. Maybe he just needs to go to a, like a mid-major and get these kids that want to go there for four years and play his system. But from a spot perspective, it does not get any better than Texas coming off. They're just on a slide. They're coming off that really embarrassing loss to West Virginia. Um, And now you get them taking on an LSU team that's just been running so well on the roads, running so well at conference. This isn't a conference game, so they'll probably lose on the road. And LSU coming off that emotional win. I mean, everyone's emotional for them. So I think it's a good spot for Texas. Uh, I'll throw this to Colin here, and then I'll let you, yeah. Colin, you go through what you have on Saturday. TCU, Arkansas. TCU coming off that win over Texas Tech. Pretty impressive second half. The only TCU win away from home was at the buzzer at Kansas State. So what do you see with your your hogs who've lost a couple here? And what else do you have circled for Saturday? Woo, pig suey. Collins talking Razorback basketball. Yeah, it's a really interesting weekend of SEC and Big 12 hoops. And I've got all of them circled here about the and generally it looks like the ones that I want to play are, are the home teams. Arkansas is top in the nation and defending the arc and three pointers are the lifeblood of TCU. They're number yeah. one in the Big 12 in, in, in three point shooting percentage. And TCU is just off this monster win against Texas Tech. So I'm not really sure what their motivation is to come in here while Arkansas is reeling off of two straight losses. Pretty embarrassing in front of the home crowd, just completely being shut down the last 10 minutes of the game after Coach Cal got thrown out of the game. So that was embarrassing in front of the home crowd and then couldn't cover against Mississippi State. I expect Arkansas, they haven't had a good shooting performance in a number of games. You expect uh, a, I think big, gonna... a big day from your boy Mason Jones? Mason Jones. A Mason Jones will shoot from anywhere, from the hog snout, from the first row, from up in uh, Frank Broyles' box. He's going to be shooting it. I don't care. So, you know, in Muscleman Jones. Joe and Jones, Eric Musselman mic'd up was like the greatest thing ever. They need to mic him up for every game and make it. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Uh, (laughs) So uh, Iowa State's traveling down to Auburn. Uh, Iowa State's got Baylor on deck, so I'm not sure what their focus is here on Auburn. Auburn has them outmatched everywhere on paper, especially when Auburn has the ball with your Iowa State stinks, man. Just Halliburton trying to try out for the NBA. You need to fade Tennessee because there's this thing stuck where you and I talk about it no matter what sport you and I are podcasting about when a team has trauma or loses a number of players like the Jayhawks just had, just like Kansas had. Usually they regroup for the first game out and they seem to put out their best performance. It'd be understandable that Kansas wants to get that entire melee with Stools and DeSouza and oh, I mean, I know they've got a number of players that are out for this game, but that's going to be reflected in the market. That's going to be reflected in the point spread. Tennessee's feasted on terrible teams all season, but they caved the top 75 teams. I mean, they recently just lost to Georgia. So I think you're going to get an extremely discounted Kansas number. I think the market's actually probably going to move whenever it opens and it's going to continue to move based on these suspensions. And I think it's a really good spot to back the Jayhawks. I think the best game of the weekend though is Texas Tech and Kentucky. Just a fantastic game. I want to back Texas Tech. I want to see what the number is going to be. I think Ken Palm makes this a Texas Texas Tech victory by four. I think it's an all-out effort from Texas Tech after losing to TCU. I prefer an under 132, considering the two defenses and the pace of play that they're going to have. Texas Tech has West Virginia after this, so they need to be clicking from an offensive standpoint and continue to play stellar defense against Kentucky. Yeah, and by by the way, Iowa State against Baylor at home might be a good spot. It was troubling what they did against Kansas at home, and they have a little more than – they're running a little bad on how teams are shooting against them. Bolton is a pretty solid player. Halliburton just can be a little too out of control at times. He's obviously one of the most talented players in the nation, but I don't know if I want a piece of them at Auburn. 
How about Memphis in a bounce back spot after the absolute worst loss by a ranked team to an unranked team in 40 years when they couldn't hit the broadside of a barn against Tulsa? They're going to face an SMU team that should be better than they've shown so far. SMU lost away at East Carolina, lost away at Houston. Now they have Memphis. Memphis is going to be angry, going to want to pay it back there because I'm sure the boosters in Memphis aren't going to be happy about that. I do like Kentucky. I want to see which Texas Tech team is real. Which, Which one is stepping up here? Is it the one that blew out Oklahoma State or the one that now continues to struggle because of course we want to buy in because of Chris Beard and everything they did last year, but I have to see it here. We'll say with Kentucky and I watched them closely, obviously, and it's not a really experienced team. What have they done on the road this year? You know, to start the year, they beat Michigan state on a neutral court. I don't really put any stock into those you know, November 3rd or whatever it was games, but this is a team that, you know, in a neutral court, they lost to Utah and then they lost to Ohio state. Right. They're being a little propped up with an overtime win over Louisville, which they were very fortunate to win. Then they, on their first true road game of the year, they went to Georgia, semi impressive win. It's on the road in conference. Georgia's a young, talented team that's better at home, but they, you know, pulled away late in that game. Then they went to South Carolina and, and lost to South Carolina. They went to Arkansas and pulled away late in that game. So that is my one worry with Kentucky is that I just, I don't know what I've really seen on the road from this team. And then Texas Tech, which obviously is another team that's very inexperienced with everything that they lost last year, you would tend to think that they're much better at home. So, um, which I think some of the results have have shown and they've struggled away from home and on neutral courts this year. The key with them is they have to shoot the three well guys because they have no dominant offensive player. They don't have that sort of player. So they're shooting 31.6% from three-point range overall, but in the conference games, they're shooting 37%. I think they have to keep that up because I think they're the whole as opposed to some of the parts. They don't have that one player. So I am curious to see against the Texas Tech defense who's going to step up. Yeah, I agree. They got to play with Sestina as like the stretch four and they have to play as a team. isn't a roll the ball out there and, and, and dominate. Could work to their advantage in March, but we'll see. Totally agree. Uh, under the radar, Buzz Williams done a great job with Texas A&M. They have minimal talent. They were three and five to start the year. And then they have home wins over my favorite pillow, Oregon State, Old Miss, and then have road wins at Vandy and took LSU to overtime and now won at Missouri. I understand that maybe that, that doesn't have the sex appeal as some of the big wins, but given his talent, it's basically Savion Flag, and that's it. It's impressive. They face a reeling Oklahoma State team in that SEC Big 12 challenge. It's weird because the Aggies used to be in the Big 12, right? They didn't cover the first seven games. Games, and now Texas A&M have covered five of their last six. So I'm on that one. And how about Georgia Tech, who's ineligible for the postseason, but they're still playing hard. They're scrappy. Eight, yeah, scrappy. Eight and 11, including three and six in the ACC, but they have covered against UNC, Duke, Louisville, and then almost barely by two points missed the cover at home against ND and UVA. They're a one-point underdog at home against that NC State team. Sort of reeks Colin of the Arkansas game there, where it's really close going to overtime. I think it's a very similar game here. Yellow Jackets at home. So those are some under-radar ones I'm looking at. Fair enough. Okay, I think we've covered the gamut from last weekend's Bad Beats to Friday night into Saturday of this weekend, and then talked a little Big Ten and Mountain West. We appreciate you all listening. Uh, thanks to BJ Rains again for joining us. Uh, Thanks, as always, to Colin and Randall. And uh, make sure you unsubscribe, subscribe, tell a friend, tell an enemy. You know the deal. Uh, Check us out on ActionNetwork.com and the Action app as well. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you all later. Cheers. Peace out. Uh, We'll catch you on the rebound. Is that too corny? We're finished talking.